0: Let's travel together to my dining room table on a winter night in 2021. It's pitch black outside, and I'm Zooming with our youth group. Our middle schoolers take turns checking in, answering the questions, how do you describe our church to your friends? One of the young people is having internet difficulties, so we can't see him or hear his voice, but he types into the chat his response. We all see it pop up at the same time and read along. I say to my friends that it is a church the likes of which they have never seen. And we all laughed too, because we needed it. And I wonder if you can possibly imagine the pride I felt when I read that statement. Maybe it makes you proud too, I'll read it again. I say to my friends that it is a church, the likes of which they have never seen. That's one way to deliver an elevator speech, right? I've heard many of you lamenting how difficult it can be to boil down what UUCH is and do a couple of sentences to tell folks and how you can possibly describe what Unitarian Universalism tries to do. And when I wrote those words, I thought, yeah, I like the way I phrased that, what Unitarian Universalism tries to do. Because I think I'm ready to admit that we're never going to do all the things we set out to do. We are mortal, and unfinished business is part of the human condition. But that doesn't give us permission to be stagnant either. One of the proposed six values that may soon nationally replace our seven principles of Unitarian Universalism is called transformation. The proposed language about transformation is true to form, still being edited, but it goes like this. We covenant to collectively transform and grow spiritually and ethically. Openness to change is fundamental to our Unitarian and Universalist heritages, never complete and never perfect. We're taught this cinematic version of transformation like the Caterpillar had this morning where you eat all the food and you go into your cocoon and then one day you're just done because what could be more beautiful than a butterfly, right? But then we grow up and we learn that transformation looks a lot more like a long, muddy road that goes on for eternity and never really brings you to your destination. In August, uh, after listening to Zan's incredible sermon entitled, Between Hope and lamentation. I felt noticeably lighter, and maybe you did too. Z referenced brand new climate science that provides a picture of our planetary prospects that isn't nearly as bleak as we thought even a year ago. Zan's words about forgiving ourselves for putting our heads in the sand about climate change were a bomb to my soul that I didn't even realize I needed until after I had heard them. It actually helped me to be brave and pick up the first book I've read about environmentalism since I was a teenager. I remember reading it, it was 2007, and it scared me a lot. So I put distance between myself and talk of impending global disaster, and turns out, There's no amount of distance that can make the existential dread go away. So when a friend recommended the Joanna Macy and Chris Johnstone book, Active Hope, the subtitle was what really drew me in. How to face the mess we're in without going crazy. How's that for straightforward? The authors highlight three different strains of stories that humans are telling themselves about the current state of our planet. On one end of the spectrum over here is business as usual, whereas way over here at the other end is the great unraveling. To get through the day, often we're on one of these two edges of the binary, right? It's all totally hopeless. There's nothing I can do, so I'm not going to think about it. Or way over on the other end where things are going along just as they should. To paraphrase a Christmas card I almost sent out last year, it says, we're fine, it's fine, everything's fine. But if we liberate ourselves to live in the in-between, accepting that the real truth in our times is not either of these stories, we can lean into a third story that this book calls The Great Turning. In the great turning, we each become protagonists, excuse me, protagonists of our own adventure stories. And remember the truth that doing some things will always be better than doing no things. Because it's not true that everything is fine. And it's also not true that there's nothing we can do. And I don't know about you, but there's a weight that lifts off my heart when I calibrate myself back between those two statements and remember that we're never gonna be done, but we have to continue on, never complete, never perfect. Do my kids share their toys? No, (laughs) but I tell myself we are getting there. Has my parenting reached the grand zenith of where I want it to be? No. And I am so uncomfortable with that so much of the time, but I guess it's time to start getting used to being uncomfortable. I preached in February about scarcity and abundance, and probably the subtitle of that sermon should have been, I'm tired, are you? One of you compassionately approached me after I preached that day and recommended another great book called How to Keep House While Drowning by Casey Davis. And it helped me reframe domesticity in a huge way. What if, the author asks, care tasks like cooking, dishes, laundry, are morally neutral? Our culture has attached so much weight and so much shame and so many labels to things like messy houses, unfolded laundry, sinks full of dishes. And the giant sigh of relief that this book gave me was to remember that the toys all over my living room are just objects, they cannot speak. They're perhaps not in their most organized or pristine state yet, but they are objects nonetheless that say nothing about me or my family, or what we are worth. Crusty dishes that have sat out for days are not good, but they are also not bad. They just are. And this really energized me. I think when you can separate what you do from who you are, things don't feel quite so dire. I hear what Unitarian Universalism has been trying to tell me ever since I was a quirky kid and what felt like an even quirkier religion. UUism tells me about inherent worth and dignity. And I look around and I think, of course you have it and you have it and you have it. And maybe if I squint, my political arch nemesis can even have it. But in day-to-day self-talk, The hardest hurdle of all for me is to admit that I too have it, inherent worth and dignity. And I know I'm not the only one who feels that way. This morning's reading was hard to hear, right? We know these things about our history, and yet we do not think about them as much as we think we ought to. We have heard some of these stories, but maybe not put quite so plainly or directly. And we are, many of us, descended from a people who caused great harm, who continue to cause great harm. And how do we explain that to our kids? We begin and we know that we are getting there. There is something so straightforward about the voice with which we are telling this story of Pentucket to our young people today. As opposed to those two extremes, it presents some information and lets everyone think through what it means to them. And there's something empowering about hearing it told that way, isn't there? Like when we learn the difficult history again, we can face the future with a transformed sense of being informed, delivered in a way that hasn't been delivered before, at least not in public schools. And so today, after church, you can imagine, our fifth through 12th graders will be on a local hike. Nancy Labar from the UUCH Land Acknowledgement Task Force is going to be showing them around different sites where Penacook and Pentucket people lived and fished and hunted and loved for a long time before John Ward and his peers arrived. Their explorations will conclude at the Buttonwoods Museum where they'll get to look at a variety of artifacts found in this area, teaching us what life was like in the many centuries before 1642, right here in Haverhill or Pentucket. Stay tuned this spring for an opportunity for adults in the church to go on the same hike. The UUCH land acknowledgement task force has been doing some pretty quiet, but pretty awesome work. Um, They formed only two years ago, this time of year. And you've probably heard some of their research, relationship building, their truth telling And I know you've heard the beginning of their statement. Um, Sometimes we read it at the start of worship, but it's actually a bit longer. So I wanna read the whole thing to you so you can hear it today. The land now called Haverhill sits on the original homelands of the Penacook and Pentucket, Algonquin speaking peoples of the Wabanaki Confederacy. We acknowledge that our Universalist Unitarian Church of Haverhill forebears prospered due to the appropriation of land from people who were indigenous to this area, a legacy that we hold to this day. We honor and respect the enduring presence of the diverse indigenous peoples still connected to this land. And we promise to research and personally acknowledge these legacies, retell our history honestly, and build relationships with and support contemporary indigenous communities in actionable ways. This team and our church is such a beautiful example of how we can transform together over the course of a long time, many years, and I hope you'll find out more about their work if it interests you. Because we're never going to do anything if we think we're already doomed, we're already totally beyond redemption, we're just broken and the worst. We're never gonna do anything if we think that what we have to do has to be perfect and done quickly and up to these impossible cultural standards. What has been done is not okay, the past, Haunts us, and we have a lot to think about. But we are moving forward in a direction informed by truth, and we are getting there. We do not know exactly where that is, but we start anyway. That's what UUism is in my life. I'm still doing all the messy worthiness work, wondering every day what I'm doing, how I'm doing it whether it's enough, whether I'm okay, whether it's all going to be okay. But when we know we still have to change and we don't have to change alone, the change becomes a little less scary. And we're also here to remind each other that we don't have a choice, we have to change. The other night my kids were looking out at the sunset from our front steps And something about the sunset just always makes me think of, like, other people who have stood in that spot and looked at the sunset before, and it also makes me think about when my babies are old and what the sunset will be like then, and there's baggage with all of that. So Rory, my youngest, must have fallen asleep and dreamt about it because when he woke up the next morning, the... First declaration he made from his crib was, ah, 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 Moa sunset. And as I lay in my bed, blinking the sleep from my eyes, about to put my feet on the floor for another seemingly impossible day, I thought, the only thing harder than change is imagining this beautiful, terrible world staying exactly the same as it is right now. Forever. And so we look at one another and we take another step. And while we do it, we sing. May it be so.